right, so we're going to be continuing our study of Under the Radar, a study of the Bible's unsung heroes. And last week, we, if you were here with us, we were able to enjoy a period of congregational singing uh, with the new year right around the corner, and uh, sure enough, we made it. Uh, we made it to that new year, to 2021. We're here. Uh, never felt like we were going to get there, but we're finally here. And I am so much looking forward to the coming year and all the good things that God has planned for us, both individually and as a congregation, as we look forward to this coming up year, 2021. When we last studied God's Word together on Wednesdays, we were continuing our study that we're going to continue tonight of this under the radar, studying the Bible's greatest figures who, though they may be unsung, made all the difference in the world. Because as we've talked about, when, it, when we think about ourselves and our place within the body of Christ, we tend to have these type of questions. What function do I have? What role can I play? What expectation does God have on me? And sometimes when we don't readily find those answers, the temptation for us is to simply just quit searching, and to quit trying to find where we fit in in the body of Christ. And when this happens, we become no greater than that one talent man in the parable who buried his talent in the ground. And in doing so, he forfeited his soul. He said, cast the unprofitable servant into utter darkness. That's what happens when we cannot find our place within the body of Christ and we simply give up trying, we bury that talent, we bury that gift, we bury that role, that function in the ground, and we are no longer worthy of being his servant. As we studied the first class of this series in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we saw that when it comes to being a part of the body of Christ, God has appointed, God has distributed, God has set each of us, each one of us, within His body with something we can do for the cause of Christ. The problem is we simply have to find what that something is. We have to find what that something is that God has distributed, appointed, and set within us, each and every single one of us, to do for the cause of Christ. So that's exactly what we've been trying to do in our study thus far. We've been examining these unsung heroes of scriptures who do not get the headlines, they don't get the spotlight, they don't get the sermon, they don't get the emphasis that the bigger figures like Paul or David or Peter or some of the others might do. Because we may not be able to be like them, but we can make a world of difference in our own ways that God called us to do. So each week we've been looking at these characters, these figures from Scripture, and seeing how we can be like them within our part and our role in the body of Christ. The first week, remember, we studied the life of Mordecai from the book of Esther, and how even though the book that he is in does not bear his name, even though you know we think about Esther when we think about that stu study, we saw that he was persistently humble in his faith in God. And because of that, he saved the entire nation of the Hebrews from annihilation. And we learned that if we are persistently humble in our faith, that we too can change the world for the Christ. 
Our next study, we studied the life of Luke. If you remember that, we saw that how even though he wasn't an apostle, even though he wasn't Paul, even though he wasn't one of the bigger figures in the Scripture, we saw that he wrote the majority of the New Testament, giving us the most descriptive gospel, the most uh, descriptive story of the life of the Lord, and also the only inspired historical record that we have of the early church. Not only that, we saw that he was Paul's travel companion. We saw that Luke preserved the life of Jesus, the life of the church, and the life of Paul. And we learned from that that we too can preserve the truth of God's Word every day of our life. Because this dark world that we live in would seek to destroy all truth that disagrees with them. And so then the next week, our last study when we were here before the new year was looking at these three women, Shiprapua and Jehoshaphat, and what they did in the story of, of God's Word to make all the difference in the world. You see, even though they barely have any real estate, any real focus given to them when it comes to the amount of text about them in God's Word, they single-handedly saved the bloodline of Jesus. Shipra and Pua disregarded the Pharaoh's wishes and God blessed them and Jehoshaphat saved Joash from Athaliah and in so doing saved the bloodline of Judah through whom the Christ would come. And we saw that all three of these women feared God. So we talked about what it means, what it looks like to fear God in our lives and in our day and age. And so tonight, we have another figure from Scripture who is, in his own simple way, totally a game changer for the future of the Lord's church at the time, for the canon of Scripture as we know it, and the character we're going to be studying tonight is often mentioned as just that guy's brother is often seemed like he was on the sidelines, but at, in actuality probably should get just as much of the spotlight as his brother. We have a New Testament character who was one of the first two that Jesus called. A fisherman who spent the duration of his time with Jesus bringing others to him. By now, if you've been in the church long enough, hopefully you've already guessed who we're going to be talking about tonight. We're going to be studying the life of the unsung hero, the Apostle Andrew. Glad Andrew Newman's not here tonight. He might get a little big head, you know. We're talking about Andrew tonight. No, he's watching online. He's going to love that. Uh, but we're, we're going to be studying the life of the Apostle Andrew as we go through our class tonight. You know, being in an adult class like we are tonight, I assume most of us know who the Apostle Andrew is. I know most of us would know uh, who the Apostle Andrew is if you've been in the church long enough, studying the Bible long enough. Many of us might even see where this sermon, this lesson, this, this class is going before we even start. Based on the tune of all the other classes, you, but you know the story of Andrew, you might already know what's about to happen as we delve into what he did and why he matters. However, tonight, I want us to look at his life and realize the impact that Andrew had on the Gospels. 
the impact that he had on the entire New Testament and what the church, the early church, would have looked like if Andrew had never been born. Tonight we're going to be studying three passages from the Gospel of John that highlight the impact that Andrew the Apostle had in the life of Jesus. You know, when we think about Andrew, we probably all know what? He was the brother of Peter. Simon Peter, he was the brother of Simon Peter. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Mark chapter 1 and verse 16. John chapter 1 and verse 40. All indicate that Andrew was the brother of Simon Peter. There is no doubt about it. He is absolutely the brother of Simon Peter, the man who was the pillar of the New Testament church throughout the book of Acts, throughout all the early church. We know that he was the brother of that man. Some would argue, some would suggest that Andrew is the older brother of Peter. Others would argue that he wasn't. But regardless of whether he was the older or the younger, he was the brother of Peter, which tells us a lot about him already from the jump. If he's the brother of Peter, we know that he was the son of Jonah. We could just as easily say uh, Andrew bar Jonah the same way we say Simon bar Jonah. We also know from that that it also tells us that he probably was from Bethsaida, which is located on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. We know that Andrew was one of the fishermen that Jesus called on the seashore and promised to make him a fisher of men. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, Mark chapter 1 and verse 16 tell us those stories about how Jesus called them by the seashore. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, right? The two sets of brothers. But the Gospel of John shines light on what might have preceded the seaside story. You see, we all remember the the story of Jesus coming to the seashore and saying, cast your nets on the other side, but maybe there was something that preceded that story when it comes to the life of Andrew. What you may not know tonight, and maybe you do, was that Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist prior to becoming a disciple or an apostle of Jesus Christ. So we know from John chapter 1 that this is the case. Go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 1. If you have your copy of God's Word, we'll be in John chapter 1 to begin our study. Beginning in verse 35. It says, again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus, as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, that which is to say, when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see, and they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. And let's stop right there. So here in the text, we've already seen that we have these two disciples of John the Baptist. You see, John the Baptist had followers. He had disciples. He was looked upon as someone to follow, a teacher, someone to rally behind, as we know of the life of 
John the Baptist. He was the one, the voice that was to cry out in the wilderness, that was to make straight the path of the Lord, to prepare the way for the Messiah he was prophesied about. And so John the Baptist was going about all the area, baptizing, a baptism of repentance according to Acts chapter 19. But he wasn't the Messiah. And he never claimed to be. He was a great man. He was a fundamental need to prepare the way for the Christ, the Messiah. But here we see John the Baptist letting his disciples, these two disciples know that this man is the Lamb of God. I'm not the Lamb of God. I am not the Messiah. I'm not the one that the dove fell down from heaven and fell, like a, fell on him like a dove, the Holy Spirit. That is the Messiah right there. The one that we've been looking for, praying for, look, longing, longing for. He's right there. And so these two disciples, what do they do? These two disciples see that, they hear that, they hear this from their teacher, John the Baptist, and they look at him and say, all right, we'll follow Jesus. That's all it took. It says that they followed Jesus. Jesus asked them after that, you know, he looks, he looks behind them, and there they are, these two disciples. He says, what are you seeking? Well, I mean, what, what are you looking for? And they say, we're looking for a rabbi. We're looking for a teacher. See, in those days, individuals would attach themselves to different rabbis, different teachers, and they would follow them and become disciples of them, and they would eat what they ate, they would say what they say, they would wear clothes like they wore clothes, and they would emulate them in every single facet of their life. That's what these two disciples are trying to do with Jesus. And so he says, follow me. And, and they follow him and they ask, where are you staying? And he takes them to where he's staying. But just who are these two men? Who are these first followers of Jesus? Why would they leave John the Baptist? You see, we have to realize how popular John the Baptist was in that day. John, John the Baptist was the most popular man in the whole culture in that time. Jesus hadn't done anything in, in, in any miracle or any type of amazing thing to grow any type of following. There was no one following Jesus up until this point. Jesus was simply a man in sandals walking down the street. He had nothing to his name. He was not popular, not famous. Guess who was? John the Baptist. He had thousands of followers. In fact, all the way into the book of Acts, we see that people were still following after you know, the movement of John the Baptist. Why would these two disciples leave John the Baptist? The man who was baptizing people left and right. You know, a lot of people like to attach themselves to missionaries who are so successful with, with baptizing and converting and and. Can you imagine just following that person and seeing all the great things that they were saying and doing and all of a sudden this, to them, random person shows up and it's time to follow him now. That's what happens to these two disciples. John the Baptist had thousands of followers and this man had nothing. Why would they leave John the Baptist for this guy? Well, because John the Baptist, their current teacher, told them who this person was. There is no doubt in John the Baptist's mind, he knows that this Jesus is the Christ. The Messiah, the Savior of the world, and as it says in our text, 
the Lamb of God. And so that's why these disciples left. That's why they followed Jesus. Let's read verse 40. It says, One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So what does this tell us about Andrew? What does it tell us about this character, Andrew? Obviously, you know, based on what we can understand from the Gospel of John, that the other one was probably John. John and Andrew were these two disciples that followed Jesus first. But what does this tell us about the life of Andrew and who Andrew is as a person? The fact that he was one of the first followers, the first two followers, when it came to Jesus' apostles. Well, it obviously tells us that he was a man of great faith. He was a man of great faith to believe that this was actually the Lamb of God. That this was who he needed to follow. And since he was the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, that that means he needed to drop everything and follow him. It not only tells us of his great faith, it shows us that Andrew was seeking the truth even before Jesus called him. While others were trying to figure out what the Pharisees were all about, trying to fish, trying to do this and that, trying to do all other things, we know that Andrew was already seeking the truth, seeking after God even before he met Jesus. He was a disciple of John the Baptist, this one crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. And once that way was prepared and Jesus the Lord showed up, it was time to follow him. So when Jesus saw, oh, excuse me, when Andrew saw God in the flesh, he didn't hesitate. He didn't pause. He followed him immediately. And not only that, but he wanted someone else to meet Jesus too, according to the next couple of verses. Verse 41 says, He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. And so we see that the very first instinct that Andrew has in this moment was to bring others to Jesus. When we look at this story, we saw that his very first instinct, the very first thing that he knew he needed to do was to bring someone else to Jesus. For a moment, I want to talk about what this means, this idea of bringing, this word bringing. In the Greek, the original language, that's hagagon. And when we think of that word, we're, we're trying to understand it but it might be hard for us to understand. When we say the word bringing, we literally mean something like him grabbing his arm and bringing him, leading him to Jesus. He goes and grabs his brother and brings him to the Lord. That's the idea that this original language is indicating. You know, when we see this other idea about Jesus giving Simon this name Cephas, meaning stone, that's a pretty cool name to be a stone, a rock, 
right? Someone, you know, uh, someone that's a rock is just dependable. But what we might not know about the life of Andrew is what the name Andrew means. The name Andrew means the one who is brave or the one who is manly. You know, this is the idea behind the name Andrew. We might not have ever seen him in that light. But we know of the life of Andrew that he was brave. Let's get back to the idea of the text here. What are the implications of this simple gesture that Andrew makes? What are the implications of Andrew bringing Peter to Jesus? Have you ever thought about why Jesus chose each of the apostles that He chose? Why He chose them to be His followers, His best friends? Did He have any reason, any rhyme or reason for the people that He chose? You see, I believe that He had definite reasons as to why He called upon each and every single apostle He chose. And He had a specific reason. You know, this is just conjecture at this point, but maybe He chose Peter because He knew He would lead. He'd be a good leader. Maybe He chose Matthew to show that the gospel is for all, even tax collectors. He knew that He would be a good writer. He would write the gospel. And He needed Matthew along the way to prove to the Jewish audience that He was indeed the Christ. Maybe He chose John because He knew that the love that He would have for him. But when it comes to the life of Andrew, I believe we can know that He chose Andrew because He knew Andrew would bring others to Him. Tonight, I want you to ask the question, what if Andrew did not bring Peter to Jesus? You know, from the life of Peter, we obviously understand, if you've been in the church long enough, you know that Peter was the one that walked on water. How many people have done that? There's two. One of them's named Jesus, and one of them's named Peter. You know, I was uh, watching TV one time as a child. I was flipping through the channels in my little, little TV in my room. I mean, just very small TV. I'm watching TV. I'm flipping the channels. There's this televangelist on the TV, and he's about to walk on water. And he's just talking up a big talk, a big talk about how he's about to walk on water. And so I'm watching this for a good 30 minutes. I mean, he's just standing right on the dock of the water, just about to step off the water. I got to see this, you know. How, how is this guy going to pull it off, you know? I'm like a kid. Sure enough, he steps off that dock and just, it just sinks. And I, I didn't even stay to watch the aftermath. I just changed the channel. What a dummy, right? I mean, you're not going to walk on water. But Peter walked on water. Peter was the one who led the apostles throughout the Gospels on into the book of Acts. Pillar of the church in Jerusalem. Peter was the one who preached in Acts 2 at Pentecost. And through the Holy Spirit, he cut that audience to the heart, it says and led to their conversion of 3,000 people in one day. Peter was the one in Acts chapter 10 who baptized the first Gentile convert, Cornelius, which showed that the kingdom of God was now open to all nations, not just those of Hebrew descent. That was Peter. 
Peter was the one who wrote two epistles. He was the one who became an elder according to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. Peter is the one who is forever you know, more famous than his brother. You know, almost every single instance of us seeing the name Andrew in the Scriptures throughout the Gospels, it says, Andrew, the brother of Simon. I mean, Noah, Aubrey, what if you were described as your Aubrey, the brother of Noah? I mean, wouldn't that just get at you? You know, growing up, my brothers, they may be listening online, I was way more extroverted than them. I talked a lot. I was very annoying. Still am. Some people... And people would talk to them. Jack, Jack Thompson's giving me a thumbs up on the annoying part. But people would talk to them and say, oh, are you Ben's brother? And they would be like, no, he's my brother. You know, when you think about the, the, the Gospels, every time we see the name Andrew, except for a couple of places, we see that it says Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Peter deserves that kind of fame, I suppose, since the things he did and how great of a man he was. Peter obviously is one of the greatest figures in all the entire Bible. He should be on everyone's top whatever list. You know, he, he, he definitely deserves all of the credit he gets. But if it wasn't for Andrew, would we even know Peter's name? Now, I know, as I said earlier, I believe that Jesus had a specific reason for every single person He chose. He knew who He was going to choose. And maybe Jesus would have simply just gone to Peter Himself and brought Him in. We know because of the, sea, the seashore story that Jesus had that plan and He was going to do that all along. But, how amazing is it to think about tonight? Jesus didn't have to go searching after Peter because Andrew brought him to Jesus. How amazing is it to know that we don't have to wonder about how the Gospels would be, how the book of Acts would be, how the New, church, New Testament church would be. We don't have to wonder what the Bible, what the church would look like without Peter. Why? Because Andrew was there to bring him to Jesus. And because of that willingness to bring his brother to Jesus, the rest is, as they say, history, right? Andrew brought his brother to Jesus. And because of that, all of the things that Peter accomplished could be hinged on that decision. Because Andrew was faithful enough to believe in this Messiah before all the others. Next, I want us to turn our attention to John chapter 6, a couple of pages over, perhaps, in your Bible. John chapter 6. At the beginning of this story, to get some context, Jesus has just healed a great multitude of those who had all kinds of various diseases, sicknesses. And He leads them up on this mountain afterwards, and He sits with His disciples, and all of a sudden, here comes this great multitude heading up the mountain towards Jesus and His disciples. And Jesus knew that the Passover was coming, and so he asked Philip, Hey, where can we buy some bread for all these people to where they can eat? You ever been asked a question you have no idea how to answer? I mean, you're just dumbfounded. 
That's where Philip is in this story. Philip doesn't know how to answer this question. Evidently, it tells us that this crowd was huge. It was, it was even ridiculous to think that we could feed this great multitude. It would have been an insane amount of money to be able to afford the amount of bread to even allow all these people to nibble on this bread, much less to be filled to their stomachs. With that, we're ready to read our text, starting in verse 8 of John chapter 6. It says, One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in a number, about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. Now let's skip down to verse 14. It says, Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. You know, the feeding of the 5,000 may just be my favorite miracle, one of the favorite miracles that I like to think about when I think about the life of Jesus. No doubt it is one of the greatest showing of omnipotence, of the power of the God-like person that Jesus was. He was God in the flesh. It's one of these moments that that is so clearly displayed in His earthly ministry. But isn't it interesting to think about how John, the one who wrote this, gives us this little insight in this gospel that it was Andrew who noticed the boy with bread and fish. That it was Andrew who brought this boy to Jesus. And that with the five loaves and two fish, Jesus fed 5,000 men. Not just a nibble but until they were absolutely full. Until they were completely satisfied. For a moment I want to ask you, do you think Andrew knew what was about to happen? I don't think so. Andrew obviously said, what are these against so many? I don't think Andrew knew what Jesus was going to do with the boys' lunch, but he knew Jesus could do something with the boys' lunch or else he wouldn't have even brought it up. Andrew knew that Jesus could do something with these five loaves and two fish. What were the other apostles doing? You ever think about that? You know, Philip is dumbfounded. He's just, you know, like, I don't know how to answer. We're going to pay for all this bread. I got nothing. We can't pay for this bread. That's where Philip is. Matthew's probably looking at his book trying to figure out all the money it would take and how, how, how much money as the tax collector that it would probably take to feed this great mass of people. Judas is probably disappointed at the prospect of giving up that money because he wanted it all for himself. Obviously, Peter isn't coming up with any ideas. And all of a sudden, Andrew shows up with this little kid's lunch. And he gives it to Jesus. My question tonight is, what if Andrew wasn't there? 
to bring this child to Jesus. That's exactly what he did. He brought another person to Jesus, this child with this lunch. Obviously, from the text, we know that Jesus was going to feed this crowd, regardless of whether Andrew was there, I believe, because he says, before he asked Philip the question, he says, he, it says he asked, verse 6, but this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. So Jesus knew he was going to feed this group of people, Maybe Jesus, the same way we said when it came to Peter, maybe Jesus would have sought this child out himself. But isn't it amazing that when every other apostle was just throwing their hands up and having no idea what to do, having no suggestions, no ideas, no solutions, that Andrew comes to Jesus with this solution. He brought this person to Jesus and isn't it even more amazing that what Andrew's solution was, the simple thing that he had no idea if it was going to work, that that was the exact thing that Jesus knew was going to happen according to verse 6 that we just read. Obviously, Jesus was going to feed them. But how awesome is Andrew's role in this miracle? When all the others had no ideas, Andrew did because he brought someone to Jesus. Lastly, I want to take our attention to the last example in the book of John of how Andrew was an unsung hero. In John chapter 12, beginning in verse 20, it says, Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. And when they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came, to, came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Now let's stop right there. So here, yet again, for a third time, we find Philip, or excuse me, we find Andrew knowing exactly what he should do. But for a second time, we find Philip not knowing what in the world he should do. Because the, the people come to Philip, they ask him, hey, we want to see Jesus. And Philip doesn't know what to do. He, 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 he just with his hands up there, he goes up to Andrew and he's like, hey, these people want to meet Jesus. Should we let them? They aren't Jews. I mean, what if Jesus doesn't want to meet them? What do we do here? What do we do here, Andrew? And that's when Andrew says, you know what, Philip, you're right. Let's think about this just for a second. Peter, come here. Should we let these people meet Jesus? Should, do you think Jesus would want to meet them? Do you think that Jesus would want to spend his time meeting these people? Is that what we see Andrew do? Hesitating, pausing, not knowing what to do? No, Andrew gets them and brings them to Jesus the same way he did with his own brother. And it says he and Philip tell Jesus who these people were. To which he was going to respond in verse 26. Go ahead and read it with me. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me... Him, my Father, will honor. You see, for the third time in the Gospel of John alone, we see Andrew bringing someone to Jesus. In chapter 1, it was his own brother. In chapter 6, it was a child. And in chapter 12, it's this group that wanted to meet Jesus. 
tonight as we think about the life of Andrew. It may be hard for us at first glance to really understand the impact that Andrew had. To really understand how Andrew is this unsung hero worthy of a Bible study tonight on this Wednesday night. You see, all the other characters we studied, it seemingly did way more important things. You think about the life of Mordecai. He saved an entire nation. You think about the life of Luke. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. You think about the women who preserved the bloodline of Jesus. All of these things seem like they're much bigger than what we find Andrew doing. All Andrew really did was bring people to Jesus. He didn't know what he was doing. He just brought them to Jesus and hoped that Jesus would do the rest. But you see, that's the beauty of our study this quarter. The beauty of our study is that the simplest gesture of bringing people to Jesus is what cements Andrew as one of the Bible's greatest unsung heroes. You see, as we start to look at ourselves tonight, when it comes to our search to discover where our place is within the body of Christ, where we fit in in the body of Christ, where God has placed us among the body, what gift, what role, what function God expects us to have, not all of us can be a Peter. Not all of us can go on to be a Peter to convert 3,000 people by a single sermon. Not all of us can write epistles. Not all of us can be elders. But every single one of us can be an Andrew. Every single one of us can bring others to Jesus. You see, I chose to talk about Andrew tonight as we get started for this year. For our first Wednesday night of this new year, because in 2021 at the Buford Church of Christ, the leadership has decided that our sole focus is going to be going and doing. Becoming the hands and feet of Jesus. Our sole focus is going to be on bringing others to Jesus. If you remember, Kyle introduced our theme a few weeks back. The same day I introduced the outreach menu that talked about what we were going to do to become His hands and feet, how we were going to try to accomplish that. And then this past Sunday, Kyle launched his first sermon series of the year entitled Likewise. Because we are to go and do likewise. And in that study, we're going to be looking at imitating Jesus and the things that He did. And when it comes to the elders, when it comes to the ministers and the leadership, we are so excited about what this coming year could be. About what this coming year could mean. We can finally do something. How long has it been since we've been able to do something? And it might take a while. It might take a couple months. But at some point, God is going to do something within us as a congregation. So many of you express that same excitement. As you've heard this theme, as you've seen the menu, as you've 
talked about this. You've shown that excitement, that happiness, the, that you're going to join us in going by spreading the gospel and evangelism and doing by serving others in our community. And we want you to know that our entire focus of that is in an effort to bring others to Jesus. Our entire focus of evangelism and benevolence this coming year is to accomplish what Andrew did in his life. You see, Andrew didn't know all the answers. Andrew didn't know what would happen when he brought Peter to Jesus. He didn't know what Jesus was going to do and how Jesus would turn that man, his brother, into the pillar of the New Testament church. The one to whom he was going to give the keys of the kingdom. Jesus said in Matthew 16. Andrew didn't know what was going to happen when he brought the child to Jesus. He didn't know what Jesus was going to do. He fed 5,000 people that day. To which the people said, Surely this is the Son of God. Surely this is the one. Because he brought that little kid to Jesus. Andrew didn't know what was going to happen when he brought the Greeks to Jesus. He didn't know what Jesus was going to do. But even though Andrew did not know what Jesus was going to do, what he would do, Andrew knew that Jesus could do something. Even though Andrew didn't know what Jesus would do, he knew that Jesus could do. That's an amazing lesson for us tonight. There are people in our lives, people in our families, people in our friends, people among our jobs, people all around us that we think, what could ever be done to this person to make them come right? There's no way that this person could ever come to Jesus. There's no way that they would ever humble themselves and become a Christian and obey the gospel and repent of their sins. And so we don't bring them to Jesus. And when we do that, we are, we, are trying, we are saying to Jesus, you're not powerful enough to reach this one. What if someone had said that about us? You know, Peter was a, a, a pretty, you know, impulsive guy. What if Andrew had said, this whole Jesus business is not for my brother. He's just a little too crazy. How different would the story of the Bible be? You see, simply, we have to bring others to Jesus. The same way Andrew did. Because it's no different for us tonight than it was for the Andrew. We don't know how each person is going to respond to us in this coming year. We don't know what's going to happen. It, could, it will be if you've ever been with me on a door-knocking campaign. There will be doors slammed in your face. There will be people who do not want you there. The same way you slam the doors on the other people that come to your house. Right? There will be people who do not want us there. 
There will be people who do not care about what we do to serve the community. They've given up on God. They've given up on religion. They've given up on Christianity. They've given up on the church. And so they don't want us there. They don't care. And they will not care. But as long as we are trying to bring others to Jesus, that's all we're asked to do. We aren't responsible for how they respond. We're only responsible for carrying the message of Jesus on and on. And I hope we keep that in our hearts and minds as we enter this year of going and doing. You see, it's not easy to become His hands and feet. That's why He's Jesus and we're us. But if we are intentionally trying to become those hands and feet, that is when Jesus is going to do the rest. You see, Andrew believed that Jesus was the Messiah before Jesus had any followers. No one with Him. It was no peer pressure about it. Andrew saw Jesus and said, Yep, this is the one. The Savior of the world. And he brought his brother to him because he knew this was the one that they had been praying for. It's no different from his story and us tonight. We have believed that Jesus is the Savior before some people in our family, before some people at work, before some of the people at class, before some of the people around us have believed. And it is our duty to bring them to Christ. Because even if we don't know all the answers, we should totally believe that Jesus knows all the answers. That Jesus knows the perfect thing to say. That the, God's Word knows exactly how to reach that person. God's Word is living. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing into the spirit, into the joints, into the marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's Word is able to make us wise. God's Word is inspired by God as profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God could be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what God's Word can do. And Andrew knew that if he could just place these people before Christ, that Jesus would know what to do. That Jesus would know what to say and that all would be well. We have that same opportunity this year and each and every day as we become Christ's hands and feet by going and doing likewise. If you don't want to excuse me, if you want to become like Andrew and you want to bring others to Jesus, this is the year. This is your moment. In the lobby, if you haven't already got one, there are a lot of outreach menus that are going to describe what we're going to try to do when it comes to going and doing this year, when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to service. And we want you to get involved. We want you to reach out and say, hey, I want to be involved in this. I want to help in this. Tell me how I can get involved in this. And so many people have already done that. If you want a copy of the Who Is My Neighbor program we, uh, we started last year that shows us the ten steps to get someone to the point of introduction all the way to the point 
of Bible study. Let us know. We'll get you a copy of that. And as we enter into 2021, as we begin this year, may we all be like this unsung hero who brought others to Jesus. Because without Andrew, where would the New Testament be? Where would those people be on that mountain? Where would those Greeks be that couldn't meet Jesus? We too can have that same impact. And if we bring others to Jesus, we know that our God is an awesome God, and He will do big things among us. All we got to do is bring others to Him by going and doing likewise. Thank you. We're going to be closing a word of prayer by our brother Jose Gonzalez.